Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 Timothy. The New Testament book of 1 Timothy and chapter number 5. The book of 1 Timothy and chapter number 5. We're continuing with our series, The Pastoral Epistles, understanding that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing not to churches, but to individuals who are behaving or acting in the position of a pastor. And in the book of 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to his son of the faith, Timothy, who is pastoring in the church of Ephesus, and he is giving him some instructions. And one of the things is that... <coughs> A lot of people don't know what we're supposed to do uh, in detail type things. Well, the Apostle Paul is instructing Timothy so him as a pastor would have wisdom and understanding of how to take care of different situations that arise. We know that as different situations arise, they have to be dealt with and they need to be dealt with with instruction, with with discernment, with knowledge, that we could do things properly, decently, in order. Oftentimes, churches get in trouble by trying to do something good, but doing it in the wrong way, and it gets them in trouble somehow. Maybe they're putting the wrong person in the wrong place. Maybe they're dealing with a situation with pure motives, but they deal with it incorrectly, and it causes more problems later on. Well, as we approach the book of 1 Timothy in chapter number 5, we find another problem that had been addressed before in the book of Acts dealing with the idea of widows. Widows are a very important resource, very important uh, personnel to take care of, but there is a proper way to take care of, according to the Bible, in order to protect the widows and protect the testimony of the church. And so if you don't mind, let's look together and see these instructions in the book of 1 Timothy chapter number 5. The book of 1 Timothy chapter number 5. Notice if you don't mind starting at verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 1. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters with all purity." Honor widows that are widows indeed. But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for it is good and acceptable before God. Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. And these things give in charge that they may be blameless. And if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. Let not a widow be taken into, 
into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man, well reported of for good works. If she had brought up children, if she had lodged strangers, if she had washed the saints' feet, if she had relieved the afflicted, if she had diligently followed every good work. But the younger widows refuse. For when they had begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. And withal, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. I will therefore that younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, giving none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some have already turned aside after Satan. If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged, that it may relieve them that are widows Indeed. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Timothy chapter number 5? The book of 1 Timothy chapter 5, and notice with me in the uh, book of 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 3, notice the phrase, honor widows. Honor widows. And with the Lord's help, we're going to see these instructions here dealing with the idea of honoring widows. Honor widows. Let's pray if you don't mind. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we approach you now, we're just asking that you would just help us to be able to understand these instructions, be able to discern why they were given and what's the purpose to be accomplished from, that not only we could be instructed how to take care of widows when those times come, but we could also learn some of these principles to be applied to our hearts now. Thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And because we need you to give us the instruction, the wisdom, the discernment, we're depending upon your Holy Spirit. And I know that it's something that I cannot do. So again, I surrender myself to you, that you could use me however you see fit, that you could get whatever accomplished you want to get done. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And thank you again for the day that you've given to us and what we could expect to hear from you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Bible gives us instructions here of honoring widows, to honor widows. As we come up, let's go ahead and hit this first idea here, the idea of respecting senior saints. Respecting senior saints. You know, sometimes we live in a world that don't know how to deal with their elders. We understand that some people are very good at making sure the elders are respected. Of course, we have a lot of Oneida Indians here, and I very much appreciate their culture and how they take care of their, their elders. I like it how they, as a tribe, have purposely gone out. They, they shovel, their, um, <laughs> shovel the snow off. They help mow their lawns. They have other things to take care and to honor their elders. And they, even at the police station, they have signs and things up there to remind people to honor their elders. Praise the Lord for a society that still does such a thing. Because there's a lot of societies all throughout, even in the Americas here, that don't know how to deal with their elders, don't know how to honor their elders. And, and if the truth be told, they'd rather put their elders somewhere, put them aside, lock the door, and pretend they don't exist. And, and that's a shame because the elders can do so much. 
We understand that the Bible gives us instructions to respect the senior saints. Notice with me in 1 Timothy chapter number 5 and verse number 1. It says, rebuke not an elder. This word elder in this case here is carrying the idea of age and not maturity. So it's dealing with someone that's older than you. You know, youth sometimes forgets that one day they will be old. They just look at an older person and not thinking about their future. They think of an older person who may be in their way, that may be inconvenient. But one day, dear friend, you're going to be that older person. And there is an idea of reaping and sowing. That you need to take care of the elders with the expectation that someone perhaps may respect you when you're older. You know, we live in a day where disrespect abounds all around. And part of it, it deals with how do we treat with someone that's older than you? I come from the South, where in the South we're taught, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, to the point that I have people all around me that says, please stop saying yes, sir. You don't have to do that. But it's so uh, ingrained in me that I'm afraid that, you know, that if I don't say yes, sir, yes, ma'am, I have to look around and see my mom's coming around me to knock some sins into me. I mean, that's just how it is in the South. I understand it's more cultural, and then it didn't help in the military that they plugged it in. It's so bad that I still call my wife, yes, ma'am. That's not because I'm afraid of her, just because I have respect. You know, there's just something towards it. But we've lost the idea of respect, that the more familiar we get with someone, the more disrespectful, the more casually we deal with people oftentimes. And if we look at someone that is senior than us, a senior saint, and we look at them and say, well, they're just a waste, then we're already on a bad path because they fought the fights. They've laid the groundwork. They've paid the price to what, for us to have what we have today. And the Bible here is instructing a pastor, and this is important to understand, especially as these practical application in chapter 5 and chapter 6. That it is instructing a pastor how to instruct the church how to behave properly. And so this is part of a pastor's job is to remind people to respect the senior saints. To honor them. They've passed on before. They've fought the fights. Notice again, rebuke, not an elder. The word rebuke here doesn't carry the idea of correcting behavior, but it carries the idea here to strike at. (laughs) It carries the idea that you see someone that's older than you and you strike out at them. You're a waste of space. You're in my way. Get out of the way. Just give up. It carries the idea of dealing with them disrespectfully. And the Bible says that's not how we're supposed to deal with him. It says, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. Hopefully there's enough respect in you that you respect your father and will treat him as such. It doesn't matter who they are, whether they're your kin or not. Senior saints are a precious commodity and they're precious to God. You know how many people would be better served to grab an older person to shut up And to let them tell stories. It is easier in your life if you could learn from someone else's mistakes. Than go make your own when you didn't have to. To learn from them. To learn what worked. What didn't work. Learn what they regret. Learn what they learned that they should have done better. Learn how they could have been a better parent. A better uh, 
a better person, to listen to them. They could teach you so much. They could give you wisdom that you didn't even know you needed. But the Bible says that we're not supposed to rebuke an elder, but we're supposed to entreat him as a father, to respect him, to listen to him, to allow them to guide you. Notice as it goes on, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren. The word brethren here carries the idea of brother in Christ, not blood relation, but because of the common bond that we have in Jesus Christ, that you may be an older person or an older teenager, and you look at these little kids running around, and well, in my day, we wouldn't have done this. And you look at these kids here, and they drive you nuts. Well, they're just disrespectful. They're this and this. Well, as you look at a younger person, we should treat them as a brother in Christ, to love on them. Because we're part of the family of God. If they've accepted Christ and you've accepted Christ, we need to treat them as brothers, not as people that are in the way. Here we're seeing just a practical thing, how to deal with other people, how to work with them. That in a senior saint, we're supposed to respect them. If there's someone that's younger than you, treat them like a brother in Christ, not someone that's in the way. Verse number two, elder women as mothers. Oh, how... Things would be different if we looked at all the senior saint ladies and treated them like we would our mother. To care for them. To meet their needs. To see if there's anything they need. To care for them. And then the younger as sisters, notice this, with all purity. That when we deal with our <coughs> other ladies, if, even if they're younger with us, that we should treat them as sisters. And then it has the idea with all purity. This is mind and body. That means that we have pure motives when we're dealing with other folks. If there's another young lady, there's certain ways we will deal with, with them. But we want to deal with them with purity. We want to deal with them with nothing, no bad intentions. We want to treat them like a sister. There's proper way to treat others around us. So we start off with this principle as it's leading into widows that we're starting off that we need to respect our senior saints. We need to take care of those that are older. And then it goes down and starts to explain specifically how was a church supposed to take care of widows. Notice if you don't mind, we see as the conversation switches and we can see the rules for the church for honoring widows. The rules for the church to take care of the widows. How, what are the rules that we are to put in place to guard ourselves, to take care of the widows, to do things decently in order? What are the rules? Well, if you don't mind, let's see this biblical list and see the rules that the Bible gives how to take care of, of widows and who are we supposed to take care of. Notice if you don't mind that if and maybe may, let me take time to clarify. There is a time that a church is supposed to honor the widow. The word honor carries the idea here in this, idea, uh, this case of money. So here is a widow that's <laughs> husband's dead. And some people are thinking about taking her on for support from the church. To take care of her. To ease her burden. Because now she's trying to go through life alone. Well the Bible says that we can't just take on anyone. But there's actual rules of who we can take on. Who we're not supposed to take on. Who we're supposed to give monetary relief to. So it's dealing with the idea of money. Monetary relief. Who are we supposed to give money to. And who are we not supposed to give money to. So notice this. We come to the first rule in how to take care of a widow or who to take care of. And we see the first rule here is that she must not have 
any living family. She must not have any living family. Notice with me in verse number three. Honor widows that are widows indeed. Again, we've mentioned here that this word honor carries the idea of a financial obligation. Honor widows that are widows indeed. But if any widow have children... Or nephews. Now remember that our authorized version was written in the 1600s. The English language is a fluid language and it changes. That back in the 1600s the word nephews meant grandchildren. All right. So it says, but if any widow have children or if she has grandchildren, let them, the grandchildren, learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents. For that is good and acceptable before God. So the first qualification is that if a church is thinking about taking on a widow, that first of all, she doesn't need to, she, if she has any living relatives, they need to take care of them. It is their responsibility to take care of mom and dad, to take care of grandma, grandpa. Notice as it goes on in verse 4 again. But if any widow have children or nephews, that means grandkids, let them, the grandkids, the children, learn first to show piety at home. Meaning to show that they're right with God. How do you know that they're right with God? By how they treat their family. You know, there's something about family. That family seems to aggravate us and we seem to be more patient with other people than we are with our own family. Our family drives us nuts sometimes. That's why we have family. But if you want to prove that you're right with God, you're going to show it first of all at home. You need to take care of your parents, your grandparents. Notice this. That first of all, to show them piety at home and to requite. The word requite carries the idea to repay. Do you know how much it costs to raise a child today? It costs lots. The last statistics I ran into, which I think is old, that it costs from like birth to death. It costs somewhere between two or from birth to when we kick them out of, of the house. From birth to whenever they leave college, house, job, whatever, is somewhere between $200,000 to $400,000 to raise one child. You know what? We spend a lot of money on them. Diapers are expensive. You imagine how much thousands of dollars of diapers that you have worn in your life. And by the way, when it says that weight limit, that is how much they can hold. You got to change them every day. It's all right. You can laugh. It's a bad joke. I know. I mean, you, they go through a lot of diapers and then you got to feed them. And if you thought feeding them when they were young was bad, then they turned to teenagers. Then there's no such thing as a full refrigerator. It stops. They all have hollow legs and they eat everything. Then you got to clothe them. And you wish you could buy clothes at last, but then their feet grow and they keep busting through them. Their shoes don't last. They, you have to buy shoes every couple weeks because they keep growing and growing and growing. And, and their clothes. And next thing you know, boys have holes in their knees. By the way, boys should have holes in their knees. You have to keep getting new pants or put patches on something. But that's what boys are supposed to do. They're supposed to play. You have to keep buying clothes and stuff. You have to feed them. You have to take them to the doctor. You have to spend money on them. You have to buy school supplies. School supplies doesn't come free. And then they lose their pencils and you got to buy new pencils. And then they break your stuff and you got to buy new stuff. They cost money. 
You cost more for your parents than what you realize. But one day, you have to take care of them. They changed your diapers, now you got to change theirs. They fed you, now you got to feed them. That's your responsibility to repay them. To be thankful enough for them and their influence in your life that you love them and have no problems repaying all the hardship, the trouble, the heartbreak. You know, when you were younger, or even now, your parents pray for you. And I used to tell people, I didn't know fear until I had kids. Now, you know, all kinds of things can happen. You have to trust the Lord. But when you're older, you get to pray for your parents, and now you know fear. What's going to happen? Mom's go- Is she going to fall? Can she walk? How's her memory? There's part of taking care of that senior saint. To take care of them. To repay them for all the labor, the time, the things they invested in you. Now you are to take care of them. And if you don't, if you don't, notice with me in verse number 8. If any provide not for his own, especially of those in his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So some person who says, guess what? I don't need to take care of mom. I know that she stumbles and falls all the time, but you know, that's someone else's problem. The Bible says you're worse than an unsaved person. Unsaved people can manage to take care of their parents. If you say that you're saved and God is taking care of you, you realize how much God has done for you and you can't even take care of your own parents. You're worse than an infidel. You've denied the faith. And this is some pretty serious words. He's trying to get across that, by the way, it's not the church's job to take care of everybody in the world. It's family's job first. Take care of them. To, to work with them. You know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, or the, the scribes, had displayed their hypocrisy by what they did with their parents. Uh, Jesus rebukes them. You'll see that in Matthew chapter number 14. But what happened is that the scribes and the Pharisees had a tradition that they can give their parents uh, some money. So let's say that you have a scribe that's 20, 30 years old. And they go up and say, Mom, Dad, I'm giving my life to God. I'm giving everything that I have. I'm going to give so much money to God that I'm not going to be able to take care of you. And so we have a tradition that I go ahead and give you this present now and this takes care of my obligation from ever taking care of you for the rest of your life. See you later. Good luck. Don't call me if you need anything. When Jesus heard about this, he was upset. He rebuked them. This is, by the way, one of the passages where he said, "You, the tradition of men had made the word of God of none effect. You want to call yourself a follower of God and you don't want to take care of your parents? Why should anyone ever trust what you say about the Bible? This is some harsh rebuke that you are supposed to take care of your parents, your grandparents. You're supposed to take care of your family. You are the one that's responsible. You can't pawn it off on someone else, including the church. The word provide here, notice if you don't mind in verse number 8, but if any provide not. The word provide carries the idea of anticipating, thinking, planning something beforehand. So it carries the idea of not being reactive, but you've made plans to take care of your parents. That if you don't make plans, if you don't anticipate, if you don't 
work and put some thought on how you're going to take care of your parents, you've denied the faith. You're worse than an infidel. There's some forethought into it. You don't need to wait until they're on their deathbed and say, you know what, maybe I should finally start taking care of dad. You shouldn't wait until they have an accident and say, you know, maybe I should do something about that. You shouldn't wait until their cupboards are empty and then they've lost 100 pounds and they're barely hanging alive before you go, hmm, I wish there if I should go see if they got any food. There should be some forethought, some planning, some consideration before the fact. That's that idea of provide. So we understand that if a church is supposed to consider taking care of a widow, the very first thing there to look for is does she have any family? Does she have anyone else that can provide for because they are responsible of taking care of their own family? So we know that if the church is going to take care of a widow who is a widow indeed, she first of all doesn't have any family, any living relatives that could take care of her. That's the first qualification. Notice if you don't mind, we now come to the second qualification. She, the widow, must be serving the Lord in prayers. She must be serving the Lord in prayers. Notice with me in verse number five. Now she that is a widow indeed. Notice this uses that phrase, widow indeed. This means this is a true widow who makes qualifications, who's met the qualifications now she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. Notice as it talks about this lady who's now widow who is serving God. A widow who meets these conditions and alone is someone that has put her hope in the Lord. Notice this, she trusteth in God. She's putting her hope in God, not the church. Now, the church may be used of God to take her needs, take care of her needs, but it is her that is trusting in God. God is going to take care of her. This is a widow indeed and desolate, doesn't have any uh, people to take care of her. She trusteth in God, but notice that what she's supposed to be doing, she's trusting in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. So what we see here is that as the church is meeting her needs, she's not supposed to be taking a vacation, taking time off, but instead she's still laboring in the Lord by giving her time to prayer. She is praying. You understand there's not such a thing as a welfare system inside of the Bible. That if we're taking care of a widow, the expectation is that she is praying. She is taking time to talk to God. She is supporting the ministry by her prayers, trusting in God that God provides, that God takes care of anything. And by the way, she can't just start praying by the time she turns into a widow. This is, needs to be something she's already developed beforehand of talking to God, of praying, seeing her prayers answered. She trusts in God so much that she's willing to serve him in prayers. This is, this is um, the widow that if she's going to be supported, it's going to be a faith life, but she trusts in God so much, she's willing to dedicate her life and say, God, for the rest of my life, I'm giving my life full-time job to prayer. That is my full-time job. Now, not everyone can make that commitment. Not everyone is willing to pray. For example, some of you have a five-minute prayer life. Do you know that the average Christian only prays four minutes a day? That's it. Four minutes a day. 
By the way, the average preacher only prays eight minutes a day. That's not much better. We live a prayerless life. So for a widow woman to say, my full-time job is to pray and labor for God in prayers is a big deal. This is a commitment she makes to the Lord. And by the way, we're going to see that there's some consequences for her not to make this commitment. This is why it's a serious thing to take on a widow for support. is because we are expecting her to labor in the Lord for prayer. Notice as it goes on. So we have a lady who is... Who is husband's died and she's saying now that my husband's died of course I miss my husband but instead of reacting and turning herself into sorrow instead of turning to the place where she's seeking to relieve the pain she's saying God I'm going to trust in you I'm going to depend upon you I'm going to live for you and she begins to pray but notice as it gives an opposite of this in verse number six but she that liveth in pleasure notice this phrase is dead while she liveth. So here is a widow, and her husband dies. And by the way, that's a devastating thing. And there's a grieving process, and grieving is natural and should be done. When we talk to folks like this, we'll tell them it's all right not to be all right. However, people respond differently in the grieving process. The proper response is to go to God and God give you grace. God give you mercy in your time of need. Some people, however, in their grieving process, turn to severe loneliness. They look at themselves and see how lonely they are. They start to turn to the world to kind of relieve, to ease the loneliness. And by the way, loneliness is a real thing. But how do you handle loneliness? By running to the Lord not wallowing in it. Notice someone who decides that because they're wallowing in, in, <laughs> in loneliness, that they start to look for different things to ease it and not God. But she that liveth in pleasure, notice this phrase, is dead while she liveth. That phrase, the dead while she liveth, carries the idea that she's killing her own soul. She's killing her own soul. We all know people who grieve and grieve and grieve and their loneliness and their self-pity and, and they're not turning to God, but they keep reflecting inside. The Bible says they're killing their own soul. By the way, you don't have to be widowed to feel loneliness. You could be single and feel loneliness. You could be married and feel loneliness. How do you respond to that loneliness? The proper response is to go to God. But someone who doesn't go to God, the Bible says they're killing their own selves. They're dead while they liveth. The answer is always to run to God, to go to God, to seek after him. Notice if you don't mind in verse number seven. And these things give in charge. Now remember, this situation is such a dangerous thing, such an important thing, that it is the pastor being in charge. Remember, this is given by the Apostle Paul to a pastor, not to a church, but to the pastor to instruct, to order this, that if, verse 7, and these things give in charge that they may be blameless. The, they're going to give more qualifications of taking care of a widow. But this is such an important thing that it needs to 
be followed in course to protect the church. Let's say that we have a widow that their husband recently dies. And so <laughs> without asking, without looking for, the church feels sorry for him. By the way, the church, there's all right to have empathy and grief. But the church says, you know what? We need to make a motion. We need to take on this widow woman. We have a responsibility. We love her so much. And the church begins to take care of it. But what happens is the lady, instead of turning to God, turns more into self-pity, turns more wallowing. And now that the finances are taken care of, that's all she does is think and think and think and think and think. She's not praying, but thinking and thinking. And she's killing her own soul. Do you know the church is responsible for allowing that to happen? Hurting that lady? Because she hasn't made a commitment to the Lord. Maybe perhaps um, a lady hasn't decided to... to um, to serve the Lord, but she decides she's going to go ahead and go to all kinds of worldly entertainment to try to drown the sorrow. Well, now the church has got a black eye because she's the representative. They're paying her, and now she's doing all these other things. The church is responsible. And so the, the apostle Paul is instructing Timothy, you need to know these instructions, and you need to be able to explain them to other people about what we're supposed to do during a situation of a widow, so that way they are not harmed, and the church is not harmed in the process. Notice, if you don't mind, as it gives more qualifications. Now, it gives this warning, and it tells them, this is, this is important, you need to take care of this. Notice, if you don't mind, as we see another qualification in verse number 9, we see that not only, first of all, that the widow, she must be a widow indeed, she must be desolate, she must be where she has no family, no kids, no grandkids that are able to take care, of, or that are alive to take care of her. It is their responsibility to take care of them, not the church. But then we have a widow. She has come to the place where she's made a commitment. I'm going to give the rest of my life in prayer. I'm going to give the rest of my life to serve God in prayer. And not everyone can do that. The third qualification is that she has to be at least 60. She has to be, she must be at least 60. Notice with me in verse number 9. Let not a widow be taken into the number under Three score years old. Remember a score is 20. So three times 20 is 60. Let not a widow be taken into the number under three score years old. So we understand this is a position for a mature Christian widow. As they receive support from the church. She is going to be concentrated for the Lord's work. That someone younger than this, there's going to be other instructions and other fears for them. But someone that's over 60, that's the qualification. So if they're 45 and they lost a husband, their sympathy, we're sorry for her. But she doesn't qualify for the church supporting her for the rest of her life. It has to be someone that's over 60. Notice there's another qualification in verse number 9. Not only must she be over 60, but notice with me in verse 9. Let not a widow be taken un into the number under three score years old, having been the wife of one man. Having been the wife of one man. We see that she had to have been married once or <laughs> without getting a divorce. So, we understand as we're talking about a widow, a widow is someone whose husband died. So where is her husband now? He's dead. So as you look back, she was the husband of one wife. Now, why is this such an important thing? Because what this tells us is that her monogamy was proof of her faithfulness and her consistency. 
Because now she's going to dedicate herself to the Lord to pray all the rest of her life. There needs to be an evidence that she's going to keep her word. She's going to be consistent. She's going to be faithful in what she has been given charge for. And so the uh, the fourth qualification is that she must uh, must have had been married without getting a divorce. Notice as we go on, there is another qualification. In verse number 10, we see that she must have a testimony of serving the Lord. She must have a testimony of serving the Lord, meaning a previous testimony. She has a testimony that's well known. Notice it gives specifics in verse 10. So, talking about a widow in verse 10, well reported of four good works, if she had brought up children, if she had lodged strangers, if she had washed the saints' feet, if she had relieved the afflicted, if she had diligently followed every good work. So another qualification before supporting a widow is to see how are her works. Does she have a life that was dedicated in serving God before her husband died? So here it gives five ifs, five qualifications, five specific areas to look for to see if she qualifies as someone who's dedicated her life in serving God. Notice if you don't mind, in verse 10 we see the first if, that she was well reported of her good works. What are these good works? If she brought up children. This carries the idea, how were her children raised? As part of the qualification is the greatest work that can be done in the home, by the way, is to raise children. And if the children are raised up wanting to serve God, then you've done what you're supposed to. If the children are raised up and they're serving the devil and they're all acting crazy, well, that's part of the qualification here is that they must have raised the children well. Notice, if you don't mind, we see the other if, verse 10, Well reported of for good works, if she had brought up children, if she had lodged strangers. We see this. How did she treat strangers? How did she treat people that that she never met that had a need? How did she treat them? Did she take care of them? Remember, they didn't have hotels back in those days. So when people were traveling, they would often stay in people's houses. How did she treat others when they came through the door? Was she friendly? Did she shy away from them? How did she treat others? strangers, people who were not part of her family. There's a lot of times that people have a hard time branching out. That if a stranger walked in, everyone else will shake that person's hand, but not them. That's part of how do you deal with strangers? Do you go out and try to make them feel at home? Well, this should be the testimony of the lady here who they're considering taking on support. Notice there's another thing dealing with her works. Verse 10, well reported of for good works. If she had brought up children, if she had lodged strangers, if she had washed the, (coughs) excuse me, washed the saints' feet. Here we see this third qualification. She was humble enough to serve. She was humble enough to serve. (coughs) Back then, they didn't have nice paved roads. They didn't have sidewalks. They had dirt roads. And so as you walked wherever you went with your sandaled feet, your feet would get uh, dirty. And considered the lowliest job of a servant would be someone who would wash the feet. That was usually left for the lowliest servant in the house. It was a humbling position. I don't know about you, but I hate feet. They're nasty and gnarly and awful. 
But someone who's willing to humble themselves and gladly wash someone else's feet is someone who's able to serve God well. To be humble enough to serve, not to complain. I got to wash toilets. I got to clean the church. It's not, I don't think I should do this. Oh, they're giving someone who's able to humbly serve. This is someone who has that testimony that they're humbly serving, that they're, that they're serving the Lord well. That's the testimony. This is someone who's able to serve and not complain about it. Notice, if you don't mind, there's another qualification. Verse number 10. Well reported of for her good works, if she had brought up children, if she had lodged strangers, if she washed the saints' feet, if she relieved the afflicted. If she relieved the afflicted. This carries the idea that did she overcome obstacles in her own life by putting others first? Did she overcome obstacles in her own life if she puts others first? So think about this. Here is a young widow, or sorry. (coughs) Here is a widow who has obstacles in her life. Obviously, things in her life, maybe even before she was a widow, she had things that she had overcome in her own life. But then God gave something in her path Did she try to help someone else over. Let me give an Old Testament example. There was a widow in Zarephath, a famine in the land. She just had her and her son. And they had just enough meal inside of a bottom of a barrel that she and her son were out gathering sticks. And the plan was that she was going to gather sticks, make a fire, take the last little bit of oil they had, the last little bit of meal, put it together into a cake, bake it over the fire. Her and her son were going to eat it. And then they were going to die because they had nothing else, a famine in the land, no way of taking care of themselves. And then to make things more complicated, the preacher comes over. And the preacher says, give me first. So she looks at the bottom of the barrel, looks at the preacher, looks at her son. And knowing that this is her last meal, her last little bit of oil. Notice, knowing that they were going to eat this and die, she decides that she's going to honor God first by taking care of her man as God has given the responsibility so she goes down, takes the meal, puts it into a cake, puts some oil on it, bakes it, gives it to the preacher and looks down and says, you know what? I think there's enough for me and my son. Takes it up, puts a cruise oil, makes the cake, gives it to her son. The next morning, the preacher is lodging with her and the preacher says, make me first. She looks down and says, well, maybe there's enough. And she takes some, makes it a cake, puts a little bit of oil, gives it to the preacher And looks down and says, I think there's enough for me and my son. So she takes it, bakes it, her and her son eats. Later on, the preacher says, make me first. She looks down and says, I think maybe there's enough. For three years, it lasted. What's the principle here? She overcome obstacles in her own life by putting God first. That is the testimony of someone that the church wants to support. Did she overcome obstacles? No, no, no. I know that I have to pay bills. I know I'm supposed to tithe. I know I'm supposed to give a missionary. I'm not supposed, but you know what? I'm going to take care of them first and let God take care of them. You know God is a debtor to no man. 
He is a debtor to no man. You know why God allowed that meal to last for those three years to that widow of Zarephath? Because she put God first. And God honored it. God is a debtor to no man. If you have obstacles in your own life, you know what the answer is? Give more. Not because God needs your money, but you need God's blessing. And a widow who's going to be supportive of the church is going to be someone who's already proved that in her life. That's someone that you could trust, that is going to trust God, and that God is now rewarding her and taking care of her later on in her life because she put God first. She overcame obstacles. Number five in that thing. She must have a testimony of serving God. It gives these five qualifications in verse 10 of proving her good works. That Notice again verse 10. Well reported of for her works. If she had brought up children. If she had lodged strangers. If she had washed the saints feet. If she had relieved the afflicted. If she had diligently followed every good work. What does that mean? Let's summarize that. Did she do all the good she could? Did she do all the good that she could? That she lived a life, and that was the testimony, that is a lady who tries to do good wherever she goes. That's the testimony of a widow that needs to be supported by the church. If she meets these other things, if it, she has no other living relatives, no one that could support her, that she's over 60, she's dedicated herself to praying to God, then you look at her works. Does she have a testimony that's going to back this up? Is she going to be someone that's going to be a help to the church because she's praying and has already had a life of trusting God? Then that's someone that we could support. Notice as it goes on, it gives these qualifications here. But then it gives... An explanation. Why do we not support younger widows? That's a good question. Why do they have to be 60? Why go through all of these lists? Why go through all of these rules? I mean, they're a widow. They need help. Why, why not support them full time? Well, notice as the Bible gives the explanation here. The reason for not accepting younger widows. The reason for not accepting younger widows. I know this is more instructional, but these are things that a pastor is supposed to teach a church so that way we know when the time comes, we already have the instructions. We already have it written out so that way we could take care of things properly, decently in order. So why not take on a younger widow for support? Notice with me in verse 11. But the younger widows refuse. Now, this is pretty blunt speak. Let the younger widows refuse. The word refuse carries the idea to avoid, to beg off. To basically say, no, we can't. Not to play around, but to be very clear and blunt. No, we can't support you. No, we'd like to, but no, we can't. Why not? Verse 11. But the younger widows refuse for... so. You can almost ask the question why. But the younger widows refuse. Why? Whenever you see that word for, you can almost ask the question why beforehand. Why? Then it gives the answer. For when they begin to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry. So here's the explanation here. <laughs> that a younger woman... Because of her grief, she looks back and says, you know what? I can serve God all of my life. I could spend the rest of my life praying. I can do that. And she, she makes a vow to God. God, I promise you for the rest of my life, my full-time job is to pray. Now, she's probably sincere when she says that. But then time moves on. And as time moves on, she goes, well, this is hard work to pray full-time. And then as time goes on, 
there's an older man who just came in and he loves the Lord and he loves God and he's kind of handsome. And next thing you know, they start seeing more and more and her pledge she made to God starts to go by the wayside. And instead of doing the job that she told God she was going to do for the rest of her life, she now takes that time she committed to God and now begins to commit it to a man. By the way, there's nothing wrong with a younger man or younger widow remarrying. That's what we want. That was the purpose of it. But a lady who said, no, I'm never going to be remarried. I'm going to serve the rest of my life to serve God. Now what happens, because she broke her vow to God, she's going to feel guilty about it. I made God a promise I'm going to serve God for the rest of my life. I'm going to spend the rest of my time serving. But I can't do that all the time if I'm married because my new job is to take care of him full time. Now she's going back on her vow to God. Notice as the Bible explains this, verse number 11. But a younger women refuse. Why? For when they begin to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. So they made a promise to God, I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life. Then as that starts getting old, as it starts wearing down, as it takes work and they realize it's work, and then they see someone else, they leave that pledge. Now they enter into a marriage already broken a promise to God. And that's going to cause problems later. There's going to be consequences for that. So we understand this is a serious thing. This is why Paul tells Timothy that if you have a younger woman, we're not trying to be mean, but we're trying to protect them. No, we can't support you. No, you don't meet the qualification. I'm sorry, no. No. And the reason is, the first reason is, is because later on they're going to marry and they're going to leave that promise they made to God. Notice if you don't mind verse number 13. A second reason why to deny younger women or younger widows, verse number 13. And, and with all, they, the widows, learn to be idle. So they learn not to work. They learn where they're not being busy at all. There's something about working. So guess what they do? They wander from house to house. Well, you know, I don't have to worry about finances. The church is taking care of it. I don't have to work. And so, yeah, I pray full time. I know how I pray full time. I'm going to go to everybody's house. And they sit and instead of praying, they have tea and they have fellowship and they have a good time. And as, gets, as people get together, as things are likely to happen with people with too much time, that not only are they idle, but tattlers. And busybodies. The word tattlers carries the idea of gossips. They go to each house tattling. Well, I was just over at Bethany's house. And let me tell you some things that Bethany's doing. And then they go to Bethany's house and say, I was just over at Susie's house. And you know what Susie was doing? And they become gossips. They go house to house. And their full-time job, instead of praying, is gossiping. By the way, gossiping is a sin. And gossiping is something that can destroy churches. And so now they don't have to worry about laboring. They don't have to be working. Their bills are paid. They're, they have things to be provided. They may not have everything they want, but now they have time. And time is such a dangerous thing. And so they go to each person's houses and they tattle, they gossip. But then you get to this, they become busybodies. Busybody is a term here, <coughs> excuse me, 
that carries the idea of getting involved with something it's not their business to get involved with. Well, let me tell you, if she was my daughter, this is what I would do. She should wear this. And she starts meddling. She starts getting involved with other people's affairs that it's not hers to mess with. And so <laughs> Paul is conscious of this fact. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's instructing Timothy and he's telling, no, don't do this. Don't. It's too much time on their hand. They start to meddle in other people's. It starts wasting uh, the idea of busybody, here's a good term for it. It is wasted labor. When someone is a busybody, it is wasted labor. They're working hard at something that's not their business to work on. And that labor, instead of being used for the Lord, is wasted. There's nothing more pathetic than labor that's wasted. Idleness. And so Paul is giving instructions under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Timothy, you need to take an older widow. If you get a younger widow, it's going to end up hurting you and the church in the long run. I mean, you may feel sympathy. And who wouldn't feel sympathy if someone's, hus or someone's husband died in a car accident? We should all be sympathetic. But for the idea of the church supporting her for the rest of the life is going to hurt her and then hurt the church later on. Notice as it continues on in verse number 14. Therefore, I will therefore, so because of these reasons, that younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, and give none occasion for the adversary to speak reproachfully. He said, it's better off for them to get remarried. I know that there's a time in life they shouldn't get remarried the day after their husband dies. That's not what we're talking about. But it's an eventual process. That instead of them dedicating themselves for the rest of their life serving God, it'd be better for them to get married and to start a new life and, and, and to enjoy the life that they had. So that way they, <laughs> it gives no occasion for the adversary to speak reproachfully. Verse number 15, for some have already turned aside over to Satan. Verse number 15 is an interesting verse. It carries the idea that Paul has already been there and done this. He's already witnessed it. He's already seen it happen. So many well-meaning churches feel sorry for this lady whose husband died in a tragic accident. And because they love her and they want to support her and, and they want to encourage her that they take care of her. And in the long run, she becomes a tattler, a busybody, and it hurts the church. And what's worse is they paid for that hurt. They paid for someone to hurt them. And Paul says, no. I've seen this happen. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you avoid it. That you need to have rules in place beforehand so that way emotions don't carry you to a place that you stop God's work from moving forward. Which brings me to one last thing. Paul gives one more wrap up in verse 14. And we see the idea of the relief of the widows. The relief of the widows. Verse 14. I will therefore that younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to speak to adversary, to speak reproachfully. For some have already turned aside after Satan. Verse 16. If a man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve. That carries the idea to, to assist the burden, unburden them. Relieve them and let the church not be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. Here we understand that the church has limited finances. It needs to take care of those that truly need the help 
rather than supporting all these other people that could be helped by family members or something else. And so the instructions here, once again, that families have the responsibility of taking care of their own. From the very beginning of the verse all the way up to verse 16, you see this phrase. We need to honor those that came before. Honor the senior saints. Take care of them. We have the responsibility as individuals to take care of our own family. It starts at home. And so (laughs) the principle here is that families need to take care of their own families. So the church is free to take care of those that honestly need the help. Again, there's a lot of instruction, but this is practical. This is made to help and protect the church. Again, a lot of detailed instructions, but could you see how some churches can be damaged by doing things with good intentions, but doing things incorrectly? That's why the Bible gives us these instructions, especially from someone that is experienced. Of course, we know the Holy Spirit is guiding, but do you think Paul had probably seen a lot of churches been damaged? Do you think maybe he saw some people get hurt? Does he not see how human character is? That when you give people too much time, that's when they're the most dangerous. They start thinking and mulling things over. And they're not using it for the Lord, but they start using it for idleness. Well, I get bored, so I'm going to go talk to someone else. And that idle talk leads to gossip. And they start meddling in other people's affairs and go over here. And they end up hurting the widows and then hurt the church. No wonder we have this. Say, all right, preacher, that was a lot of instructions. What do we do with such a thing? Well, you need to go and take care of your own family. Find a way to honor those around you. Support those that you have around them. If you could find someone that you could be a blessing to, be a blessing to if you have the ability to. That is our responsibility as individuals as part of the church. But the church itself needs to be set aside so it could take care of those that honestly need the help. That's practical because we're, we can't be an ATM for everyone. I wish we could. I wish that everyone who called, we would be able to help them. And we do get calls for help. And we try to be very discerning who we are for the purpose of trying to bring them in and, and try to be a help and try to show them that God is real. We have to be very discerning. But for a long-term commitment of taking care of someone, there's rules for the protection of them and the protection of us. For the rest of us, let's do a good job of honoring those that came before. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.